Hello, my name is Maddie. And I'm Hannah. We are Murder Mystery Bookworms and aspiring amateur sleuths. We are reading Partners in Crime, and over last year we have gone on 16 book based adventures. Now we want to investigate a real life case using advice from murder mystery authors with the help of our feline sidekicks, Hercule and Hastings. We will review a book, find sleuthing tips, and hopefully solve the case. Welcome to the unsolved case of the missing salmon. The book club for amateur sleuths. Hi Maddie. Hi Anne, how are you? Good. So, big news. David Suchet was knighted in this year's honours list. David Suchet, aka the best Poirot. So he's now Sir David Suchet. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like super attached to the concept of like the Royal Honours List, <laughs> but well, I feel like it's just nice for David, isn't it? Services to the world. He's provided joy. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. Like I'm not, I'm not that down with, with the Honours List, but you get nominated, don't you, for the honours list? But I don't know if that's true of celebrities. Because uh, you can just nominate anyone you want. I think we have to get that. Yeah, that's why this year so many people got sort of like, you know, nominated by their community. I don't know how many people oh. have to nominate you, but it can be oh, anyone. Oh, that's nice. So I could just nominate you and you just... <laughs> is it? Is it a... Okay, so if I nominated you, would people then have to vote for you? Or would it be a... they then choose based on my my suggestion I think you would have to get people to sign some kind of document it's my <laughs> understanding of it but I don't I don't think it's like a talent show I don't think that people would then have to like <laughs> ring in if they if they think that I could get the honor but what I do like about now now David Suchet is called Sir, like someone who could be a suspect in an Agatha Christie murder mystery Sir David. Sir David Suchet. Sir mm. David. Sir David up at the manor house. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, okay. I can sort of see it being part of like a, one of those ones where it's a bit of a, not a locked room necessarily, but a kind of everybody's stuck in the situation. When you've got like a, a fixed number of suspects. And they're all in the same location. Yeah. Similar to this week's read, if you will. <laughs> Oh, that, do you know what that was? That was a beautifully delivered connection a segue. to this week's book. A, a smooth a skiing seg- segue. Too much? No, I like it. It was like a sort of a ski run onto the book. The challenge <laughs> I have is I've never been skiing and therefore I've got no idea about the lingo. Okay, well, I've been skiing once and... It did not go well. It did not <laughs> go well at all. <laughs> Would you like to tell me more? Um, yeah, I'll tell you more. So maybe we should say why why we're talking about skiing, though. Do you just want to oh, perhaps yeah. introduce the book? So this episode's book is Crossed Skis with the lovely sort of slogan, more of a byline, uh, An Alpine Mystery by Carol Karnak. It's another one of our favourites British library crime classics that's hard to say British library crime classics which <laughs> we we think are extremely pleasing publications 
that's this month's book. Obviously, there's a skiing theme to the read, which is why we're making so many skiing-based discussion points. So, um, yeah, I do want to hear about that, Han, about your failed skiing experience. So, yes, yeah, so the book was set in the sparkling snow of the Austrian Alps. But my skiing experience actually happened in New Zealand. Oh. Yeah. So I went to New Zealand just before I started university. So before going skiing on the real the real snow, the only experience I had 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 been at a dry ski slope party when I was maybe seven. I don't think that sounds like a good party. I think I'd really hurt myself. It's not a great party. <laughs> I got to the real slope and as I was a beginner obviously I had to have a lesson. The lesson didn't go that well partly because I was with a very good friend Nina and we we were quite hysterical which meant that we weren't really listening to what you're supposed to be doing and the result of the the ski lesson was we were supposed to be skiing down the nursery slope which was like a small safe slope but for reasons I still don't understand I lost control so instead of going down the slope I ended up going across the slope towards the edge of the mountain and I got rugby tackled to the ground by the ski instructor and then it got even worse because I was back up on the skis ready to try again set off straight into a small child who I knocked to the ground they they were actually they, they were okay but I, I haven't been I haven't been skiing since I what did you actually go to New Zealand to have a skiing holiday because that feels like quite a big commitment <laughs> no I I went to see my friend who'd moved out there and the skiing was just like sort of a, a day trip activity have you got any skiing experience zero skiing experience so I've wanted to ski for years but it is really expensive if you cannot ski to go and spend like I don't even know how much skiing holidays cost but quite a lot of money on potentially a holiday that you might hate because you can't do it true also I have this thing in my head where I think either I'm gonna be amazing because I can ice skate or I'll be crap because I'm really not very coordinated so yeah I feel quite I feel quite conflicted about skiing do you know what you should do Go to a dry ski ski slope party. (laughs) Yeah, maybe someone needs to have just one that I can go to. Then they're banned. There's a possibility that the ice skating might give me a bit of an edge. I think you'll be good. I think if you can balance and you're used to being on slippery surfaces. You could get ready for it by just putting loads of water on the kitchen floor and just trying to navigate your way through. Yeah, or that uh, video that was going around of that man who put olive oil on his kitchen floor so that he could do exercise during lockdown. I have not seen this. Have you not? I'll send it no. to you. It's funny. You yeah, will. You will like it. I, I'm not sure you would. <laughs> you would use olive oil for that purpose. It's quite expensive. Maybe just a classic veg oil for that. Classic veg. Our book you chose, Maddie. Yes. Cross-skies, an Alpine Mystery by Carol Carnac. Why did you choose it? So we had a, as you know, <laughs> something of a departure last week <laughs> in terms of the type of book that we were reading. And whilst I was delighted to read something a bit, you know, mixing it up, it wasn't a murder mystery. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to return to sort of the classic genre. 
And we've had so many wonderful reads from the British Library Crime Classics. And I, as you know, I, I'm more interested in reading ones written by women. So I basically went onto the website and looked at looked at the names. And I just thought the skiing element would make things feel quite exciting. I also remember reading, is it The Labours of Hercules? The Poirot. They get stuck in a ski situation. And I find that one really exciting. Oh, but anyway, returning to our current book. Those are excellent reasons to have picked it. Thank you what did you think about cross skis overall? I had a fabulous time reading cross skis. I just felt it was really like jolly, which I know it shouldn't be. <laughs> I know it's a murder mystery. And I, I must admit that at first I had I had a bit of a worry because there were so many characters, because there were 16 people in this ski party. And I just thought, don't think I'm going to be able to learn about all of you. But actually, as it went on, it became blindingly obvious that over half of them were just there for show. It was no, I think Daphne didn't get a single line. I, I quickly realised that that was not going to be a problem. And yeah, I just I found it uh, had all the hallmarks of a classic good quality mystery. So I, I really enjoyed the kind of the dual thread of like London and where are they? Austria. I liked the fact that I wasn't 100% sure although I was fairly sure who it was until quite late in the book. And there's a lot of really great lines in there. In fact, they use the word rum again, which I'm sure you noted. I mean, the language is wonderful. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, the dual location thing I thought was great. You don't see that often enough. The police were investigating a case in London that led them to the skiing party in Austria. I thought it was quite sort of classic adventure, the fact that the police actually had to go to Austria to hunt them down. There was a lot about fingerprints, which I felt did date it slightly, because the way the use of fingerprints was presented, it was clearly still quite a new idea. I also yeah. just found one of the lines that I really liked. Okay. I don't know, but like the mongoose, we're going to find out. Yeah, actually links in because I've made a post-it note of uh, some of the lines language that I particularly enjoyed. And the mongoose one also has sort of echoes of, but who the hell's been playing the goat? <laughs> I don't know what that was referenced to. Who was playing the goat? I think it was when the money went missing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you get confused um, at all between Kate and Jane? I did. I mean, I can't even remember much about Jane. Kate was the leader, really, wasn't she? They consistently were like, you know, as a party of 16 English people, everyone loves us. They like, really believed that when they went to like the border, countries were like, yeah, whatever, we trust you guys. They really sort of big themselves up internationally. They did. And that idea that they didn't get their passports checked either. Yeah, because we're English. Well, that's not happening anymore. It was brilliant. It was pacey. I think I think if you knew about skiing, there were lots of references <laughs> to skiing and being good at skiing. I did realise they weren't talking about Robert O'Hara when they said, you've got a really good skier mm. in your group. I thought they immediately then said, yeah, do you mean Rob? You mean Robert? And he and then they said, no, we mean the other one. Oh, Okay, well, I hope that didn't happen because I thought I just filled in the blanks <laughs> myself. I mean, to use another excellent word from the book, perhaps I'm just a muddler. 
<laughs> muddling around. Do you know what I loved? It's how excited the younger detective was just for the fact they got to go skiing for free. But what I don't understand um, is why both of them then turned out to be like phenomenal skiers. Because you might end up having two police detectives who are totally shit. But also, I thought it was funny that that had to get justified quite early on when they were having <laughs> like a conversation. The police officers were having a conversation with one of their colleagues about skiing who was like, oh, skiing's just for posh rich people. And then the police officer Rivers was like, well, no, actually, no, you can afford to go if you don't have a family like me and Lansing. Prove that the, you know, working police officer could indeed manage... I did have a, a theory that was entirely wrong. Yeah, yeah. Where I thought when it wasn't actually, because I think basically like three quarters of the way through, I was like, I'm pretty sure it's either O'Hara or Neville. But I had a theory like in the first sort of quarter where maybe it was all so geared towards it being this young man that maybe it was one of the women. But that was, I mean, the women were just literally there to be making up the numbers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that as well. But I've got some other phrases and words. Perishing shame. It's a perishing shame. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite good. I also like this word I think we should all use more. Shimozzle. (laughs) What was that in reference to? What's the shimozzle? I didn't write the page number down. I think I need to do this come to the table with with quotes because you always have really good ones it was quite a surprisingly jolly murder mystery wasn't it it felt like everyone was just like yeah just have, yeah. A, just have a good time there might be a death but it's gonna be all right I liked the fact that they didn't want anyone to mention the thefts because that would ruin the party everyone's having such fun <laughs> yeah yeah just don't don't mention it no it was surprisingly jolly especially considering that the you know the murder was quite gory the person was like pushed into a gas fire yeah I was quite surprised by how often they called the sort of car crash a car smash a car smash they yeah they calling it a car smash which is quite graphic yeah so we yeah you wouldn't really say car smash now Yeah, and they cocked up big time there, the CID men, because what two, like, big shot chief inspector CID men go and talk to somebody about a car crash? No one. Well, well, yeah, also two CID going to, like, a a women's hostel. I also, I knew the bit about when they were talking about farming, that that was going to be crucial to the case. Oh, really? How so? Because I was like, there's no other reason for it. What, is the Hereford beef thing? Yeah, the Hereford beef, the taking the cows out to pasture. And I don't know anything about farming, so I didn't know what he had said wrong. But I was like, this conversation has got to have some significance. Otherwise, why is she put in a bit about Austrian cows? I did think, I thought that the Hereford beef thing was weird. But other than that, I didn't clock the other one. I just thought they were out for a nice jolly. Why was I fooled after I've read this many murder mystery books? I didn't think, oh, strange. I suppose the thing that I thought was a bit of a shame is I would have quite liked there to have been a final showdown mm. with Grey, the master criminal, so that perhaps they were, like, pursuing him on their skis and he was ahead and then there was some sort of confrontation instead of them finding him dead because he'd 
skied into a tree. So when when we knew that they were the two that were out on the slopes, by yeah. that point I knew that it was one of them, yeah. and I was fairly sure it was Neville because it was too it was just too obvious for it to be Robert, and also Neville was the one that joined the last I think and was quite late joining the train. But I had a feeling that we would find the other one dead. And that was his like way of like getting away, like killing them off so that they could. I mean, he did. Tr- I guess technically he did try by like leaving him in the middle of nowhere on the skis. You don't often see the fact they took his finger, the fingerprints from the corpse. Yeah, in a blizzard. Well. Yeah, let's quickly, <laughs> let's everyone quickly get the fingerprints. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Before an avalanche. <laughs> The ending did feel a bit rushed, I thought. Yeah, and there was little in the way of explaining the motivation of Gray. You know, he had robbed the post office of all the money, then he was on the run. But beyond that, yeah, I would have quite, I would have quite liked a big reveal with the whole party, where we could have had quite a lot of like, you know, people exclaiming and some interaction with some of the smaller names, like. Mariel and <laughs> well, I don't know Gerald to see one of them like, I feel like they only got like a line each yeah that would be quite a fun quiz question name the 16 people <laughs> in cross skis I mean I actually thought that the murder was going to be in Austria amongst the group because I was like oh there's 16 people who don't really know one another perfect and they're gonna get snowed in and they're gonna be trapped but I liked that it didn't head in that direction because that was surprising yeah I I really really enjoyed it there were things that I thought that doesn't quite make 100% sense what I did find really funny I don't know what's reminded me of that I was almost pleased that the two women Mrs Stein and her sister Mabel and Gert or something yeah (laughs) Mabel and Gert completely like bamboozled that policeman and essentially that policeman knew that they they absolutely knew where the typewriter was and they did clean it but they they he was like well I've got I can't do anything about it (laughs) yeah they did because it was actually quite a poor cover (laughs) the police officer was like so you didn't notice this massive typewriter that had the name of the suspect (laughs) and that we are actively looking for yeah and asked you about in the first few minutes (laughs) that's when she just kept saying oh I'm in a muddle I'm so muddled I can't be blamed I wonder if like in this day and age if you could get away with like saying if someone's coming to ask the police are coming to ask you questions if you were just like look I'm in a muddle (laughs) but I suppose the thing was she was sort of using it so she didn't have to I suppose outright lie Because she was in a bit of a muddle. It it felt like a real win, especially because then when he then had to tell his boss, he was kind of like, well, uh, they lied, but I I can do nothing. He was quite defeated with a really clean (laughs) typewriter. Yeah, yeah, Uh, because she cleaned it to protect her 'er ne'er-do-well son, Sid. The interaction with anyone called Sid, and it's not I didn't interact with them, my only experience of is the, I think, excellent children's book, Six dinner Sid. Excellent. About the cat that has six dinners. It was in the school library. Brilliant. And because my mum worked at the school, I'd have to wait 
after school every day until 5pm. So I got to know the books very well. I used to read Six and the Sid on a regular basis. Yeah. That's quite a sad picture, isn't it? Just me (laughs) on my own. Another time with Six and the Sid. (laughs) No, it's reading and that's what's led you here today. Yeah, thanks Um, mum. Shout out to Sue there. (laughs) Yeah, anything else of note? It, It continually, you know, tugged at my at my curiosity about my ability to ski as we've talked about um and also I used as my bookmark which I might actually do as a regular feature because it does change this was a chance one I pulled it out of the drawer my bedside table drawer which is where I keep all of these kind of little things and it was by chance also from you um and it actually was rather fitting I don't know if you can see it Han it's a penguin Perry Mason style one for the case of the howling dog do you know what the message was what it said well I'm guessing maybe it said dear Maddie (laughs) (laughs) no I just said like what's the occasion oh I have no idea birthday birthday no it's relevant for now it's looking forward to starting little grey cells with you mon ami Hannah writes (laughs) which I feel (laughs) I feel Hannah writes was something we've talked about before from like a Poirot speaks. <laughs> it's because when when Poirot picks up the phone, he always just goes, Poirot speaks. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And we talked about like answering our phone like that. Yeah, but we don't ever ring each other, so No, no. But if you ever ring me, I will try and remember to <laughs> say, say Hannah speaks. <laughs> okay, noted, yeah. So yeah, that was this week's. In fact, maybe, yes, next time I'll have a different one and I can make that a rolling feature. Yeah, that's nice. And we can put we can put a picture up as well. As yeah, for, for our Instagram. Okay, do you think we're getting to scoring time? I think we are. So, cross skis. An alpine mystery. Should I write that in the book? I'll, I'll write it because it is there, isn't it, on the front cover. An yeah. alpine mystery by Carol Carnap. Do you think it's... Is it because Lorac is caroled backwards? Yeah, that's why it is, yeah. But Karnak, ECR, where does the ECR come from? Oh, no, so her actual name is not Carol Karnak. Oh. oh, hold on a second. Whoa, so she had two pseudonyms. So her actual, like, first name was Edith Caroline Rivet. Oh, yeah. And then she had pen name Carol Karnak here, but also ECR Lorac as well which is Carol backwards and then her initials. Oh, okay. Great. And she was a member of the, <laughs> of, the, of the detection club with Agatha Christie and Dorothy L. Sayers. How, how much, club. honestly, how much would you give to, uh, to have been a member of that? I don't know. I don't know. Would I want to be... Because you'd have to be writing to be a member of it. You'd have to be writing yeah. your own detective fiction. Well, not if you're like an honorary member. We could be honorary that... members for our work in this <laughs> in this field. No, I think it'd be quite intimidating because I think it was quite a serious mm. thing, and they like critiqued each other's work. And... Oh Christ! I thought it was just like a like a fun club. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think they were just all getting together and <laughs> drinking, going and out doing... clubbing, <laughs> <laughs> just doing like um... shots, doing loads of shots. Like ranking the, <laughs> the detectives by best name or something. No, I don't think that it, that it was like that. My impression okay. is it was quite focused, eyes down. Okay, I don't want to be part of it then. 
But I don't know for sure. Maybe it did have a wild side. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> we won't. We'll never know. Um, okay, so scoring for Cross Skis by Carol Karnak. You ready? I, I feel like anything's an improvement on last week's two that I gave. So I feel better about the fact that I tend to overscore because <laughs> I gave that one a two. So I feel like I can now go back to my regular <laughs> high scores. <laughs> Okay, no, but you just should just score from the heart. Don't overthink it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, on three. Yeah. One, two, three. Okay, so for listeners, we have both <laughs> given eight. Woo! It's quite unusual for us to agree. It is quite unusual for us to agree. So that gives 16. Quite high. Out of 20, it's quite high. What's our sentence going to be? Can we make a pun on the skiing thing? We could. <laughs> could we put, like, it's no joke? <laughs> <laughs> we don't this... normally do puns, but I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> this was an excellent read, or something like Please that. Please put that, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite it's... a departure from our usual structure. Yeah. But I'm, I'm kind of into it. We've got to mix that yeah. up. Yeah, okay. Okay, so it's no joke. <laughs> then we could use other language from the book. We could put, it's no joke. This was a snappy lark. <laughs> <laughs> What's the one okay. about something about mongoose? <laughs> okay, yeah. You, no, you shared that one. It was okay. something about playing the mongoose. Yeah, it? hang on. I'll, get, I'll find it again. <laughs> okay. It was, I don't know, but like the mongoose... We're going to find out. How about this again, <laughs> It's no joke. This was a snappy lark. And like the mongoose, we found out. <laughs> I'm putting it. It's no joke. This was a snappy lark. And like the mongoose, we found out. It doesn't make much sense. But brilliant. So what do you think we can learn from cross skis for our case as amateur sleuths? Perhaps there is more that you can learn from, because these two cases seem to be, or or two two storylines seem to be quite separate, but they in fact were not. They they, They overlapped, they crossed like skis. So perhaps something that might feel rather insignificant might be really important. Yes, that's true. So maybe I will have to investigate something that does not feel related to the missing salmon in order to find out the truth yeah. about the missing salmon. And also, I think an important learning, but might not be good for the case, but good for us as the detectives, is if we can swing a free holiday, we'll take it. Maybe one of our suspects is going to be skiing. And we better, yeah, we need to do it. We need to chase after them across Europe (laughs) in this setting because we don't work for the police I don't know who's funding that trip other than us (laughs) but if there is a way you know maybe a GoFundMe or something well you know there were people at the wedding who traveled from outside of the of the UK so maybe we'll have to go and 
visit them because we can only do an interview in person (laughs) the other thing which I wish that we could use in this case but we can't because it was so many years ago is doing fingerprints oh wouldn't that be great yeah like if we had like the wrapping of the salmon or if we had like if I still had like the tablecloth we could like dust that for fingerprints we could take everyone's fingerprints I I mean we could could do it just for just for laughs see how many people would engage with it if we sent them all messages and said we need to take your fingerprints it's an avenue Um, it's an avenue to explore leave no stone unturned that is true leave no stone unturned so for case notes this week i have something quite exciting to share with listeners oh so in your key witness statement you obviously mentioned a few people a few people by name so i thought you know i've come to the stage in the investigation where i do really need to start interviewing some other people based on the advice or tips that we discovered in previous episodes suggested that we should really be consulting some wiser women as part of our very nice part of our um, investigation so i decided to start by consulting my mum who was a guest at the wedding obviously and her best friend Louise, who I refer to as Auntie Lou. So what follows is my conversation that I had with my mum, Louise, sort of background interjections from my husband, Andrew. (laughs) And I think that listeners will agree, it is revealing. This is my hypothesis. At the wedding, some people there that weren't invited and turned up and there were later on in the evening their behavior showed that they were very dodgy people they had to be chucked out now i think that there was one dodgy person there could have been more and i don't think any of the guests would have taken it because they would have had to left with it or eaten it all and i suspect it was one of the non-guests this is my hypothesis that i'd like to put forward are you okay. assuming that one person took the whole salmon? Well, we don't know. It could have been different people took bits of it and put it in a bag each or something. <laughs> or just ate Because I've only listened to your first podcast, but um, when I was listening with you and Maddie, Maddie was uh, serving at some point as well. Yeah, yeah she yeah. was a server. Maddie took the salmon out at approximately 16.30. So it was on a like a platter... So it, it was Lockmiller poached salmon served six to eight. She put it down and then she was like, oh, I need to go and get the side plates and the cutlery. So she went back to the kitchen. She estimates she was probably gone less than five minutes. She returned. All of the salmon had gone, apart from a few flakes left on the platter. So the so plate the- was still there. Yeah, the platter was still there. Well, that, that's interesting, isn't it? Which is interesting in itself. Oh. So do you think people just came into the... Was it in the kitchen? No, no, no. So this... There more will be revealed about the location of the salmon in episode four, but it was outside on a table 
If you remember oh, where what? the cake was, yeah. then it was on the side. So was it near the vegetable bit? Was it near the vegetable bit? Yeah, like where the salad stuff was. I think it yeah, was. I think it was. I think it was. You know, with this new information, I think just a load of greedy people came really quickly and took it. Yeah, but it's hard to know because people have changed their story. Because, Mum, when I spoke to you about the salmon, <gasps> probably, yes. I, I would say, after the wedding, you told me then that you had eaten some salmon. <laughs> so <laughs> you've got an inconsistency in your story because you just said you definitely didn't have any salmon. You told me that someone, <laughs> you told me, when I uh, talked to you after the wedding about this salmon disappearing, you said, yeah. oh, someone brought me a plate with a bit of salmon on and I had some and it was really nice. But now you said- Oh, you no, 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 no. You know when Maddie took a plate round with food just on for you? Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. I asked, I took a bit of food off that plate and she told me off because she said it was just for you. And that plate had salmon on it. And that plate I had think salmon. so, yeah. Oh, yeah I had a little round, you know, a roulade salmon y thing. Oh, no, okay, no. Oh, okay, so when you said you had salmon, you were talking about yeah. the salmon roulade as opposed to the yeah. poke. Oh, yeah. okay. I apologise. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. we cleared yeah. all that up. Gosh. Yeah. 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 I reckon there were enough greedy people there just to eat it. My, I, that's mm. my hypothesis, too, actually. Yeah. Not, Look, no, but I think the contributing factor as well is that there was no way to get the salmon from the plate to your own plate because Maddie hadn't brought out the utensils. Yeah, some, people would, some, people some people would have their own utensils already. Okay. I think there's somebody you should interview that will... Oh, okay, yeah. MK, he's a big old eater. Yeah. Yeah, MK yeah. and Blom I would have as... Yeah. Well, I've actually, suspects. I've messaged Blom about saying, I've sent him a message saying I need to talk to you about missing salmon and he's not replied. Yeah, because if they and it's just for three to six to eight, they could have polished that almost themselves. Oh, easily. Mm, possibly. Was it discovered to have gone when Mads came back then? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh. It's quite a brief window. It's and a I, very brief window. And I think there, were, there would have been a lot of guests milling around at that point, which, which I think kind of goes against the random ruffian taking it theory. <laughs> random ruffian? It's <laughs> not impossible. As a random ruffian, but I think it's I think it's unlikely. Yeah. The weird thing about the case is I've not actually spoken to anyone who has had the salmon. So if it's your theory <laughs> that it was just lots of people congregating and eating the salmon really quickly, mm. surely someone would have said by now, "Oh yeah, I ate a bit of salmon." No, no. I suspect it's a small amount of very greedy people. I mean, too. <laughs> I don't think it would be many. Mm. And who, I mean, yeah, he's sort of working out who would have been outside around that area at that point. Yeah, exactly. That's what I need to try I to mean, establish. I mean, I would also suspect the, um, the Scots. Your family. Scots. Yeah. yeah. So it yeah. wasn't near, so lots of people would, because I went to the, where it's like the veggie bit, and he, they would, they're doing stir fry or something, veggie. But the meat was sort of a bit round the, a different side of the, the that area wasn't it yeah you're right Louise. yeah it was yeah. so um, it was the salmon so mo more people were around the the meaty area but I don't know where the salmon was because I don't remember ever seeing the salmon 
Uh, Why don't we just profile the Scots? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's possible. There's just so many potential suspects. This is what I want you to kind of sort of draw the net in, as it were. Salmon net. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that I my name has been cleared in the. <laughs> oh, the hang game. on, we didn't say that. It, it hasn't been cleared, but I have to say that I was thinking until you clarified that you ate salmon roulade rather than poached salmon, I did think that you might be lying. We'll <laughs> see. So that part of my name has been cleared, yes? Yes, you've been cleared now. Thank you for joining us for episode five of the Unsolved Case of the Missing Salmon. This week, we discussed the award of a knighthood to Sir David Suchet, our favourite Poirot. We also read, discussed and analysed Cross Skis, an Alpine Mystery by Carol Carnac. Crucially, Hannah also took a key step within our case, interviewing two additional witnesses. Next week, we'll be reading Tour de Force by Christiana Brand. If you'd like to read along with us, you can purchase this on Hive, hive.co.uk and support your local independent bookseller. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe to receive updates on our latest episodes. We're also on Instagram at Missing Salmon Case. We will find posts and pictures with artifacts from the case, pictures of our feline sidekicks and artifacts from our archives. We're also preparing for our final episode of 2020 where we'll be looking back at some of our favourite murder mystery reads of the year. For those of you who'd like to get involved, please email us at missingsalmoncase at gmail.com with your own suggestions. Contributors will be entered into a prize draw where they have a chance to win a murder mystery bundle. Music composed by Jeff Harvey, sourced from Melody Loops. So, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Unsolved Case of the Missing Salmon. We look forward to seeing you again next time. And for now, keep sleuthing. <laughs>